I was just documenting the whole journey without an expectation of it being something. I get the final product. I go to the driving range. I hit a ball. And I wasn't playing that much, so I wasn't that good. So I hit it straight, though. I'm like, oh my God, that's really good. So I hit it again. And then this guy next to me, just a regular golfer, is like, hey, what is that? I was like, oh, it's bomb tech grenade I designed. He's like, what do you mean? And I was like, I don't know. Uh, I was like, it's this club. He's like, can I hit it? So he hit it twice and he didn't say anything. I go, oh God. He goes, how's, how's this possible? From Vermont Center for Emerging Technologies, it's Start Here, a podcast sharing the stories of active, aspiring, and accidental entrepreneurs. Today, we sit down with Tyler Sully Sullivan, an athlete turned entrepreneur that has single-handedly changed the golf industry, one club at a time. Welcome. This is Sam Roach-Gerber. Dave Bradford. Recording from the Consolidated Communications Technology Hub in downtown Burlington, Vermont. Tyler Sullivan, hello. You killed that. That's the best intro ever. Shut up, really? Swear to God. And oh you've my been over God. 100, you've been on 100 podcasts. Something like that. So. That was first take, too. I'm yeah. impressed. Is that really over 100 podcasts? Something like I We did the podcast circuit for yeah. a while, and then, I don't know, I kind of got burnt out on it, so I'm glad to be back. Good. Coming, coming back. Is there a support <laughs> group you can go to to like break that habit? So it- uh, I don't know. But I'm glad to be here. Thank you for having me. And So psyched to have you. Yes. And I, I, we were just talking about it, but... I mean, I think we had originally emailed like maybe five years ago to get you on this mm-hmm. podcast. And, you know, finally the stars aligned and I'm really sad our email chain is ending. But um, <laughs> seriously, let's check this one off the to do. Uh, best follow up ever. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> so let's like jump in here. What is Bomb Tech Golf? Man, I'm an accidental entrepreneur. You know, uh, I started in 2012. I was in sales, just bored out of my mind, and was trying to compete in the home run derby of golf, which is like hitting the ball as hard as you can. And I was actually pretty bad, but it it made me obsessed with golf and golf equipment again. So I was going to, you know, like the drive range, just hitting balls and just could not find equipment that I really wanted to use. And then I started building these really strange long drive clubs, like four degree loft, triple X flex, and a bunch of the clubs broke. And as I was traveling these competitions, they would break and I was just getting frustrated. And I had this idea of starting to assemble my own and I called a buddy up from UVM uh, and I'm like, hey, I wanna design my own product. He goes, you're not that smart. I go, you're not wrong, dude. So it's a good friend to have. Well, friends. he's been honest with me. It took me five years to graduate. So I was like, yeah, okay, you're not wrong. So anyways, he's like, call UVM. I was like, okay. So I called UVM up and they're like, I was like, do you remember me? I was one of the worst students. They're like, no. Um, but apparently they have a capstone project every year in the engineering department. And they're like, yeah, you can apply, see what happens. And I, for some reason, just applied, thought it'd be cool. And we went through a year of designing a driver. And I just kept going where the traction was. So during that time, I just started documenting on Facebook. This is 2012. And really, it was just organic. I was just doing it because it was fun. I had zero expectations of making a dollar. Wow. So I didn't go into it saying, hey, I'm going to make $10 million, a dollar, or You're anything. just trying to win the competition. I was just trying to win competitions, have fun, and just, it was fun. I don't know. I just had this weird pull to do it. And... When we had the design done, I was like, I don't have that much money. So I cashed in my 401k because oh. I didn't have kids at the time. I was just like, this is fine, whatever. 
just because I wanted to see what the club would be like. And we only had to make like 50 units and a, uh, you know, the tooling, which was still like a decent chunk of change. So anyways, I was just documenting the whole journey without an expectation of it being something. I get the final product. I go to the driving range. I hit a ball and I wasn't playing that much. So I wasn't that good. You know, I was trying to whatever. So I hit it straight though. Like, oh my God, that's really good. So I hit it again. And then this guy next to me, just a regular golfer is like, Hey, what is that? I was like, Oh, it's bomb tech grenade. I designed He's like, what do you mean? And I was like, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I was like, it's this club. And he's like, can I hit it? So he hit it twice and he didn't say anything. I go, Oh God. He goes, how's, how's this possible? This club's better than mine. And he bought it right there. So I just had like these That's moments so awesome. of traction and that was like, I was like, Oh my God. So from there, you know, I just kind of kept scaling up what was working just on Facebook and we sold a couple units here, a couple units there. First year I didn't, I don't know, we sold maybe, I don't know, a couple hundred clubs. And then it was really the second year when I was fired from my day job the week before Thanksgiving and my wife was pregnant where I was like, okay. And she, she really supported me. And when I came home from work early, she's like, what are you doing at home early? It's like, well, I got fired. And she's like, you're going to take bomb tech full time or what? Oh, and, yes. Yeah, sick. So I was like, I guess, because it was only. Right, right in time for holiday, Christmas gifts and stuff. Did you get have any product? <laughs> you know, I don't think that it, that first year was the hardest year of my life uh, for the family, for me, because the, the I, it was the kick in the butt that I needed to actually make it turn into a business. Because we were doing like 10 or 15K a month, which sounds like something, but not when you're a physical product brand. You're reinvesting all your capital and cash flow into the product. And I still needed money to survive. I was going to say, and you have a baby on the and way. And had a baby on the way. And first time we dad. know the 401k is gone already. 401k so. is smoked. No health health insurance. It was it was tough. So that year with a newborn, I worked 20 hours a day. Literally every moment that I was awake, I was assembling clubs myself in the basement, shipping them myself, posting on social, doing the emails, making the YouTube. It was like pure chaos. You know, but then Facebook ads kind of became a thing and we posted a video. It's me in my backyard hitting a ball into a net and I say, does your driver sound like this? And it sounds like a bomb literally goes off. I hit it so hard and that I posted a booster for like 10 bucks and that got 300,000 views, 10,000 comments. And literally, I commented on every comment till my thumbs were bleeding. Oh, my gosh. Not that I knew it was going to change our sales, but I just saw traction. So I kept seeing these, like, little moments of traction. So I just kept doing that. And then we were able to scale. And that that first year, we, we five extra sales. And then we, like, 4X and 3X. So then we got to, like, low eight figures, you know, eventually. So it was just Facebook was good to us. It was good timing. But I think it worked because I had no expectations. That's yeah. so cool. Well, you know, what was your longest drive prior to inventing your own club and then after? Because let's let's just are we talking 30 yards or, or you know, well, so it's funny. I actually ludicrous we, yardage. I think so. We actually I started with long drive and we make clubs for regular guys. So actually, I didn't even make a, a club specific just for long drive. I ended up making it for the mass market. And now when I play golf, I just try to hit it straight. So, you know, now I don't hit it far. Now I just try to hit in the fairway. Real golf. <laughs> Avoided the answer. So okay, can't say, can't moving say. on. No can't claim. say it's a trade secret. Trade got secret. it. Got it. Trade secret. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Um, 
So your accidental entrepreneur, any other entrepreneurial stuff growing up that sort of gave you confidence or, you know, lemonade stand, paper route, because we've seen that Yeah, before. Not, not me personally, but both my parents were entrepreneurs. They owned a diner, jewelry store. You know, they've never worked for anyone else. So they ah. definitely, you know, laid the foundation, and I've always seen them doing that. I worked with my dad in his cleaning business at night, seen cleaning carpets. So we always were doing things that were not traditional. Um, and, you know, he and my mom were really supportive and like he loaned me 10 grand when we started. Like, I was like, dude, I need some money. And I didn't even really ask him. I was just like, hey, how's it going? He's like, well, do you need some cash? So they were supportive of me. Um, and I think that just I think that's how we are, you know, just non-traditional. And I'm not built for a corporate job, apparently, because I've been fired. And no, you, you uh you give that air of being unemployable. Yes, exactly. I mean, I mean that as a compliment. So don't you think, Sam? Totally. And I, I do think there is something to say, too, of like being that part of your DNA, right, of like seeing the hustle and like what it looks like to have your own business. And, totally. and it takes a real rare breed of person to give up the comfort and stability of health insurance and a 401k. And this is why we tell these unfiltered stories because mm -hmm. I would never recommend that someone cash in their 401k to start their business. <laughs> yet here we are, right? Yeah, a lot of the things I did may not make sense looking back on it, <laughs> but in hindsight, I just felt like that was the right move to take at that time. You know, <sighs> and it just kind of worked out. And I don't know, a lot, I think a lot of luck, timing, and I just probably was not the smartest person, but probably worked harder than other people were willing to work. I'm here for yeah. it. I'm here for it. I So one thing I did want to touch on before we get into the weeds here is what makes this club different? You know, that first one that you worked with yeah. UVM on, like what is, how is it different than a regular club? Totally. So there's two things. Our brand position is for regular golfers. You know, so we, we don't care about pros. We don't care about retail. So it's really, our brand position is so strong because we just are for those guys. And they really, they know where they stand. You know, they're the weekend warriors. But the design was a, a, and we still have this design just modified now. We're on version four, you know, um, is a dual cavity design, which breaks up airflow, makes it more aerodynamic. And, you know, that's what makes it so unique is the dual cavities. But then from there, the unique thing is that we've been able to really be scrappy with, you know, R&D and development and we use customer feedback. And that's like what I like most of direct consumer is like you don't have to get crazy and hire a bunch of engineers and, and over design something because the only person that matters is your customer, right? So like we'll, we'll make a product. I think it's great. I'll have regular golfers try it, but then we'll launch it. We'll do like a micro launch. So we'll sell 500 units. So like we just launched a seven wood. I knew it was going to do well, but I never assume anything, you know? So we launched it, we'll sell 500 units and then we'll get real reviews. If it has over an 86% five star, we'll launch it, right? So then we'll go, we'll do 20,000 units or whatever, depending on forecast. And then what we do is like for our last 3.0 version of our driver irons, we sold them for three and a half, four years uh, without launching a new version. And we take, you know, we got like, I don't know, 18,000 reviews now. So we take that and we'll just look for a theme. So like the 3.0 driver, they said the shaft, some people said were, was whippy and some would, if they hit on the toe, it faded. So I take that feedback if there's anything common and we'll just tweak our new design based on that. So it's like direct cost, direct consumer feedback, which gives us the real yeah, advantage. You're making sales and your customers are helping improve the product. And that's like that at the core is what BombTech is. Like we don't, I don't ever push or do anything. It's like customers tell us. 
So like in our emails and our launches, we ask them, hey, do you want a 64 degree wedge or a chipper? And I'm always wrong. So I'm like, oh, everyone's gonna vote. Let's launch 64 first. And then we'll get replies and emails. And it'll be like 5,000 people voted for the chipper or whatever. And I wanted the 64 and only hundred voted. So they give us the actual guidance on what to launch. So at this point, it's like, they are the boss of the company and we ask for real authentic feedback. And it's like a two-way conversation. So they feel like they're the brand. Because without customers, yeah, you're nothing. Neat. So, you know, how badly does this piss off like the big golf? I think club we're irrelevant. Makers? Yeah, irrelevant. I yeah. think we're just so small in the space that we can have a niche. We sold over a million clubs at this point, but still, golf is like a four point five billion dollar industry. So, if we do, you know, ten million a year or whatever, that's great. I only have two employees. Life's good, but we don't have to become. And that was never a goal. So it's just like I was doing this for fun and want to make great products at a great price at the end of the day. So it's like, we, it doesn't even matter. I don't even like register that as the wow. reason we exist. You know, it's like we're there for this specific core, hardcore audience that just, we stand for them, you know? And, um, I have so oh, many questions. Oh, yeah, I know. Sorry, we're going to talk <laughs> over each other. Um, have you had a product flop? Mm-hmm. And, and and why? What 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 was the root this cause? This is when I was cocky, 2016. Thought I was the product launch king. I could launch anything to our audience, and we would kill it. And I was the beer pong champion at UVM at the frat, fifth year college, eighteen games in a row. I have a trophy. It's kind of a big deal. Um, <laughs> so, anyways, I was like, let's invent beer putt. You know, it's beer pong for golfers. You know, it's similar concept, but you putt. It's got five uh, five holes you putt in, and I didn't ask my audience. I didn't. I did post on social, but I was like, hey, you know, what? Do you, I didn't really get feedback. This is the one time where I was like, this product's just so cool. I know my customer. You had divine inspiration. I just was like, this right. is you sick. I've got, you know, I, I'm the audience at the end of the day. I was like, I'm the guy. And then we launched and I made 2,000 units. I didn't do my 500 unit micro launch. You know, I was like, mm. let's do 2,000. And I think we launched and sold like 100 units. Oh, no. And I was like, Okay. And then, so that was like, I think we ended up selling them at like half, I think it was break even or we lost 10 bucks a unit at the end of it. That was like our first product where, because it wasn't a golf club. I just thought it was such a, in the same, I don't know, planet as golf. I was like, this is going to do well. And a lot of the guys were like, I don't drink. You know, they're 45, 50 years old. They're like, dude, I've never played beer pong. You know, so it it was just a massive miss. And that was on me because... I think that was year four in the company, and I thought I was cool. Yeah. I thought I could be cocky, and it really humbled me and said, okay, the audience really is is everything, and we were lucky to have such a big audience. Let them tell us. That's so great. I, you know? I totally want one for here, just so we can use that as an example. <laughs> we have none, right? and I'm glad we're never You don't have any light lying around? Because we have a I wall I, of, I of almost on... products here. Oh, really? Yeah, I mean. Oh, again, that would be cool. I mean, it's really important to acknowledge, yeah. you know, failure moments or yeah. just, I mean, how you learned, how you responded, and just recognize that uh, there are more brick walls than there are paved mm-hmm. roads, right? And Totally. Yeah. So, all right, Dave, it's my turn. <laughs> my God. Yes. <laughs> um, so I absolutely love your approach of listening to your customers and like letting them lead the way. I think at the early stage though, for some companies that can be a huge mistake because every bad review they get, they go down a rabbit hole, right? And like listen to the loudest voice. 
So how did you, I think you said some, you were throwing out some numbers of like, when it reaches this much, this is when we pay attention. How did you formulate that and get to that point where you were like, okay, this is the vast majority and this is the way we need to go? That's a good question. I mean, because like, if you looked on our Facebook channel, you would, or Facebook page and comments, it's like every comment is, where's the lefties? We don't make left-handed. So it is really easy to go down the rabbit hole of, of comments and messages that are not buyers. Whereas email is like a more qualified person. If they're on the list, they really care. If they're a customer, that's even a higher, you know, level of legitimacy. Whereas like, if I listen to our, our comments on Facebook, we'd only make six XL shirts and lefties because that's what everyone wants because you don't have it, right? So it's like, even when we launched our left-handed wedges, they're like, oh, we're gonna buy them, we're gonna buy them. And we launched them and then the lefty said, where's our lefty driver? So it's one of those things where it's like, I think if you do it via email and you still launch a product, just don't go as big. I think that's the only way is like when dollars are exchanged, you really know. I just typically now with our system and how long we've been doing this with our email list, we know based on replies. You know what I mean? Like if we get five, like this last launch we did, we did 240K, 230,000 in a day, 24 hours, which was sick. And we knew because that email got 10,000 replies. Our typical email that says, hey. Reply, not opens, replies. Replies, it says reply for early access. So we'll do this. And we have this whole strategy with email. Oh. But it's really simple. It's like a plain text says, we've got something new coming, you know, on this day. Just reply early or boom or something for early access. And normally we'd get like one to 2,000. And when we got 10,000, said, all right. This can be legit. So we now know. So it does take time to train your audience and like build that relationship with them. But I think if you're early, you do have to take some risk and and make something and see if someone's going to pay for it, you know, and then modify or, or iterate from there. So it's like, I hate to ask friends. I don't ask my friends. Yeah. I don't ask my family. Right. All the signal bias you get there. Yeah. You know, it's like someone I don't know, are yeah. they going to, you know, give me their visa card and swipe it or not? Right. That's the only way to truly know. Just how big do you want to go? So, again, another million follow-up questions. But, I mean, it sounds like email marketing is a huge piece of what you do. And there are dedicated professionals that went to school for it, that do all the training. Like, are you self-taught with email marketing? How did you kind of hone that skill? Well, I think email is really cool because it's like, it's personal, personal, but you can reach so many. So like when BombTech first was like getting traction and stuff, I don't know. I just didn't like a lot of people use email and they like really over design it, HTML, 50 calls to action. I was just sending plain text emails like you and I have been sending for six years. Like, hey, what do you think of this? Or what's up? Or, you know, like more native to the platform. And I didn't really know we were good at it until 2016. And again, we were just going with traction and stuff. And Clavio, who's an email you know, email service provider did a case study on BombTech and they're like, this company's doing 49% of revenue from email. I was like, oh, is that good? Okay, <laughs> oh cool. My God. Uh, you know, so like for us, it was just, we were just doing it. And a lot of it came from just like, I wanted to know what my customers wanted. There was no like, I never took an email marketing class. And there's technical things you can do with segmenting to yeah. send to like your most engaged first. And there's stuff to make it complicated. But at the end of the day, are you having two-way real conversations with your list and customers? And do they want to hear from you? And a lot of people mess it up because they look at it as a revenue stream and dollar signs. So they just blast 
coupons, deals, Labor Day sale, this shit, and it's like you just burnt your list. Such a turnoff, yeah. You can you can burn it real quick, but in the day, that's my ass. That's my biggest asset at the company that you own. But it sounds like you, know? you, you put a lot of time into it. Like you're there's a real person on the other end responding. Oh and yeah, so engaging. that's yeah. So we the only two employees at BombTech are customer service guys. Everything else is outsourced. So I I set it up that way so I could. After working 20 hours a day for four years, seven days a week, I was like, once I had my second kid, I'm like, this is not fair to my wife and kids. So I now, now I was working like two hours a month. It got crazy because I, I literally was like, I'm not that smart at ads. I'm not that smart at email. I mean, I know strat, like high-level strategy, but I'm not good at doing. So I just started you know, segmenting it out. But I kept the guys in-house because they're golfers. They love the brand. And when they reply, it's like, you should see the comments on our Facebook group. Like We have an owners-only Facebook group just for owners. And they're like, and we have two guys. And they'll, they'll say their names in the group, like, best customer service ever. And that's a more long-term approach to do that. But a lot of companies are like, I don't want to reply to emails. Hmm. Too bad. Yeah. If you were, if you want to run a business, right, right. you got to do the work. You know, so, like, invite them to reply, but you got to reply back. And they do a great job. That's great. I mean, yeah, we're we're chat bots are everywhere that are talking back yeah. to us and it, and I think particularly your product is it's it's personal it's an investment it's a high dollar yeah. right yeah it's a high that's true you know and it's it's a game of millimeters and things yeah. so I, I feel like high touch definitely really they, and the, golf, the golfers want to talk about it you know they talk to the guys totally. and like hey I had a good round last weekend and you know it's so it's a tight relationship. So aside from your your dad's ten grand, any outside money, or did you just do it yourself? Uh, so sales I, and yeah, I tried to bootstrap, and I did for the most part. I did do three PayPal working capital loans, which is uh, PayPal was my only. Again, this was like ten years ago, so it's like hard to remember all the stuff. But essentially, they would take a daily amount of sales from your whatever PayPal account, and I took like I think three hundred grand over two or three years. But it was really tight for probably four years. And I was, because I started this with no expectations of making money, I was like, wow, we did $3 million. Where's the money? (laughs) Because I didn't realize as you scale a a physical product brand, you've got to reinvest in inventory. So like it just kept getting, and and for me, one of the reasons why I ended up, you know, selling the company was because of the capital needed. And I just was like at the point where I was like, okay, we're doing like, I think we did, I don't know, 9.9 or something million uh, 2021. I was just like, to get to the next level, I just have to keep reinvesting. And, you know, it's a great brand, great business, but I thought timing was good and I decided to sell it and and just have cash so I could be more free mentally. Because that was the one hook in that business model that if you want to grow, you just got to keep reinvesting and the lead times are long. So you need a lot of capital. I did not know that going into it that it was such a capital intensive type of business um so yeah it's just good timing for that and that was so you sold the company after t- really 10 years in business yeah about 10 years and i, I how's kept, that going how's that feel it was really a weird moment so it's like I, I had been prepping for this and like setting it up for like three years to at least be sellable so i wanted to be like i wanted to have the best sale ever where the buyer thought it was the best purchase they made and it was easily transferable so I worked so hard to make it transferable and make it a good deal. And then when the, when the deal was done and the money hit the bank, I felt nothing. And that's what they always say. They say it feels like there's it's no champagne moment. It's just like, 
Okay. Nothing really so changed weird. except for money in the bank, so which is a really weird thing. So I'm still operating and running the company, which is nice. I just don't have that, you know, the, the pressure or stress to keep reinvesting capital. So it's like best case scenario for me because I'm still managing the team. Sales are good, but I don't have that pressure. So it's just and like- How'd you find real, the buyers? Someone along the way or- Yeah, we, like, I, I hired an investment banker uh, firm out of New York and- I don't know why I chose them. Well, I did a bake-off, which is essentially you take different bankers or firms and you say, hey, how do you pitch my brand? They did the pitches, and I thought these guys would do a good job. And then we had, they brought the market. It was a process. I mean, it, it's a, it took like six months to start getting offers and, you know, get the deck, get all the EP&Ls dialed in. But then I think we got six offers, and uh, I'm, I'm glad who we sold it to. They did it. They were great company. They uh, aggregate other e-commerce brands and they made a lot of promises. Like we're not going to change your daily life. You have one call a month and it's been everything they promised is true. Oh, that's so awesome. It's, and, the, and the brand's still doing great. So I think everyone won in that scenario, you know? And you'd recommend uh, using a banker or some sort of ally? I think you need someone. That, I think that process. It de- yeah, I think it depends on how big of a company you are, you know? So like, we were really on the small end for a banker. Like there were some bankers like, oh, cool, dude. Good hobby business. You know, we only sell companies that are 300 million a year. I was like, okay, sorry. I didn't know that. And then you have like uh, marketplaces where, you know, if you're doing a couple hundred thousand or something, you could, you'd sell there. So for me, I think they did. They were high touch. They were experts. They did advise me. So I think they did a and good and job. And e-commerce roll-ups were going on too. Like, Well, yeah, yeah COVID was, a- was good to golf. e because of COVID blew up. So like when COVID 2020 first happened, I was like, oh my God, I got to cancel my purchase orders. Like no one's going to golf. And then we just started selling out a product. We just kept selling out because the demand was so high. And all these guys that, or golfers that would not normally buy online were like, hey, bomb tech sick, I'll buy it. And I we were like, I just kept selling out. I was like, oh my God. So that year, 2020, I was like, all right, if we're going to get to the next level, I got to just go for it. So that year, I, I kind of reinvested everything to hit exact number I wanted, and we sold all of our, so we hit that number. Wow. So I said, if I hit that number, we're going to sell it. So, What surprised you about the process of selling your company? Uh, there were so many surprises. <laughs> I, I mean, I think I had an unrealistic uh, value because I'm so romantic about the brand and, like, our customer service and, you know, our whole – how much effort and love and sweat and actual tears went into it. I wanted some number that would be like so insane, a multiple that was unreasonable. And so as we, as we started to get offers in, I was like, oh, still a little, awesome. so, a little sobering. Yeah, it was very, it was very like, okay, they don't see it as valuable as, as I do, or I need to be that much bigger. Like, you know, the EBITDA numbers, I don't know how much I can disclose, but you'd have to be like 5 million EBITDA or 10 million EBIT to really get a really significant multiple. And I was just like, I don't think I can get it to that number. This is the number they're offering. Will this change my life and family life? Yes. So why get greedy? So that was, you know, because I had this number in my head. I was like Lamborghinis, you know, and all this stuff. And <laughs> Lambos, are, Lambos one, but... are tough on our roads up here, you know? They're, What's they're, that? Lamborghini's tough up yeah, here. Exactly. Yeah, they're all $5,000 potholes you're going right. to hit, right? I'm so. too cheap to buy one of those anyways. But anyway, so that was the most sombering part of it. I think overall I was so dialed in from like the bookkeeping, P&L, that I was ready. You know, so they were really shocked how 
prepared I was. We closed in 39 days from LOI to close, which was like, That's crazy. the lawyer's like, what do you mean? We usually take six months. So oh my God. we were dialed in, but that was it really. That's, you know? that's awesome. That's such good insight. I, you just mentioned something that kind of sparked something for me, which is frugality as a business owner. Like, can you talk a little bit about that in the 10 years you owned the business? Like, you know, was that a big piece of what made you successful? So cheap. Don't ask my wife. It's just, it's a disease, <laughs> but I think I get it from my dad, you know, cause they ran, you know, a diner, you know, which you have to be tight. You have to know your margins, know your costs. And, you know, I was the same way. And I feel like at one point, I think it was the same year I launched beer putt. It didn't do well. We had a big office. We had a lot of people in house and I, and it did, had no impact for at least my brand on the revenue. And that was kind of an eye opener for me. I thought, well, if we just have more people, more overhead, magically revenue would fly, just go up. And then I realized, okay, we only have certain levers in the business, which is paid traffic, email, and then the product. So for me, you know, I've always kept it lean. And also I like less problems and, and stuff to deal with. So like, I've always been tight and lean and never like to spend it unless there's a return, which is, which is hard to grow a company in that, in that way. But for us, it's like inventory is where you have to throw down. Yeah. So I had to like get out of the being cheap or frugal mindset and just invest in the, in the enough inventory. And that was probably the scariest part of the model is like, all right, you had a great year. And every summer I'm like, I'm rich. Well, let's buy some a PBR when we go out. It's a big day. Um, I'm kidding. But, and then in December I was broke. I'm not saying broke, but like, you know, relative right, right. to summer because yeah, I had to go order for the whole next year. So, you know, it was just like, all right, if we're going to go bigger, you just got to go bigger in inventory. And I didn't want, and I've been debt free for like four or five years. So I didn't want to go into that debt hole just to do it. So I think that's how frugal I was. Most yeah. income brands can't exist without lines of credit, capital, VC back and whatever it is. And I just was like, so conservative. I just want to use profits. Well, and that's, you know, that's a decision for the founder to make, right? Like some folks are cool with debt and mm -hmm. want to, you know, scale, scale, scale. And yep. some folks aren't. And, you know, we try to have that conversation with folks all the time. It's okay if that's not what you want to do. If you want to, you know, kind of keep it in house and, um, you know, kind of sustainably grow a smaller company and not take on debt. Yep. Hell yeah, do it. You know, it's, it's such a personal decision. Hey, can I ask you um, about fulfillment? I, I recall you and Amazon had a parting at one point. Did that ever heal up? Did you, are you using FPA today? No, so we do no Amazon. Um, I, so we're 100% direct consumer from our website. It's shipped all out of uh, Fulfillment Center, Wisconsin. So I, I don't see the product, don't touch it. That was a whole nother story for another podcast of, you know, getting clubs barcode ready. You know, they're shipped by container loads and... You know, but I've had to go to Wisconsin to find the exact right location to optimize for the for the nation. But yeah, Amazon, again, we started going down the path of like there's so many distractions in e-commerce, right? And we were doing so well direct and we own our customers. So like the reason we do that is, you know, when someone buys from our website, guess what? When we launch a new product, we can email them. And Amazon always, you don't get that. So that and with email being such a big part of what we do in launching products, I thought that would just, it would hurt future sales, even though it is a big channel. So I think we had, we were doing Amazon FBM where we were fulfilling it. And I think we missed one tracking update. Like we actually, I think, I don't know if we put it in, something happened. 
And they're like, shut down. And luckily, we weren't doing a lot on Amazon. But imagine if you're 100% Amazon. They have all control. So I'm a control guy. At least, like, I don't need to micromanage our team. Yeah. But I want to control how we're selling. If you're all Amazon, that's a scary place to be because they can shut you down for any reason they want. So I said, you know what? Forget it. We'll just go 100% direct. Okay. Thank you. Wow. <laughs> that's crazy. Um, how did you find the right manufacturing partner? How did you, can you talk about like, you know, ty- from Tyler in the basement assembling yes. stuff to. Yeah, okay. that was, that was hard. So, I mean, I ended up finding someone that was making golf clubs here in the U S a small micro brand. And I just tested his product. And I was like, wow, this is really good. And I, I said, can you introduce me to your manufacturer? He said, absolutely not. <laughs> I said, oh, okay, great. Uh, and then I, you know, built relationships, sold some product for him. And he says, all right, cool. I'll intro you. And gave him an intro, got some prototypes. I was like, okay, they're legit. But that is probably one of the biggest barriers to entry or, or wait places to start because there's so many manufacturers and it's so confusing. So if I didn't get that intro, I don't know if I would have ever started. But I did put a lot of trust in them for some reason because mm-hmm. I knew his product was great. Um, and I ended up having to pay him later on once we had success. He said, hey, I know you're killing it. You got to hook me up. Yeah. So anyways, the intro was worth it. Um, but that's how I found our manufacturer. And I don't know. I think that's a hard, like if I were to start another brand, I was going to start a ski brand. And then I was like, you know what? I'm just not doing it. It's just, it's, it, that's half the battle. You yeah. know what I mean? And it's, so it sounds to me like it's relationship building really at the end yep. of the day, like a little bit of luck and a mm-hmm. lot of relationship building. A lot of what I did early on was just luck, timing, and asking people like with no expectation. I was like, hey, and he said no. So I just kept working them and it's so great. I mean, all worked out. You know, one of the recipe elements you look for is, you know, founder market fit, right? Yes. And, you know, you built the product you wanted for yourself, yeah, right? Exactly. Which, and, and worked <laughs> at it. Um, so you sold the company. You're still there running it. Congratulations. Really Thank cool. You. I didn't know that. <laughs> I, was, I was unaware, Sam. Did yeah, you know? It's awesome. been under the radar. I don't think I've announced it. I know. I was, I and, did some research and I didn't. No, it's LinkedIn. So. I, felt, yeah. I felt really weird about like boasting about it. I feel like it's a weird. Do you want thing. us to do it? Because we'll absolutely do it. I mean, now the word <laughs> yeah, is out, right? right? <laughs> I mean, I, it all worked out, and I think I have a lot of my brand, my identity attached to the brand, so it's also like my baby still. So it feels weird, and right. it took me a couple months post sale to like separate a little bit mentally because I couldn't do it. It took me probably three months. Where I was like, wait a sec, I'm an employee. Yeah. I'm going to do my best for them, but I don't own it. Yeah, that's, which is weird. Well, that's, so like after ten years, you know, you know, not always commonplace, right? That you right. stay on kind of in the same role in some ways, just yep. without that burden of ownership. Exactly. So I can see also because you have such a tight relationship with your customers, like not wanting to freak them out too, right? right? Like totally, yeah. nothing's changing. Don't worry. Like <laughs> yeah, that's that's really true. So um, tell us the genesis of Ecom Growers, what that is, why you started a couple years ago. Yeah, so that's a pretty cool story. I mean, so. We started getting these case studies on BombTech from like Shopify, Clavio, Entrepreneur, like these big publications were interviewing me and I was like, wow, this is crazy. Didn't ask for it, didn't reach out. And then people started pinging me like, hey, can you help me with my econ brand? I'm like, no. I'm like, I'm too busy. This was like when I had, you know, kids were really young, BombTech, I was working a ton. And then my first employee at BombTech, Chris, who is just like the most amazing employee in the world. Uh, he would he would message me at like 2 a.m. leaving the bars like, have you seen the sales right now? 
I'm like, dude, what are you doing? He was so young, but he was just so amped. And so people started messaging me. He's like, hey, you know, he was starting to run my email. He's like, do you mind if I help them on the side? I was like, dude, whatever I can do to support you in your dreams and in life, I will do it. So tell me what you want to do. So essentially him and I worked together. People were messaging me. I said, hey, Chris runs my email. You know, he does this one thing. Talk to him. And then he closed three deals in 2000, I don't know, 16 or 17. I can't remember the years. And I was like, talk to me in 30 days and tell me how it's going. So from there, he like doubled their email revenue. Clients were super pumped. And I was like, all right, we sat down and we kind of had this moment of like, what do you want to do? Do you want to stay at BombTech? And he was very nervous to do something on his own because he was like 24 or something. Um, now he has a kid coming in November. So him and I became partners, 50-50, and we scaled that up. And so we, what we do is essentially what we do for BombTech with email marketing for other D2C e-com brands. So that's been like a truly his company, but we kind of use my story and kind of my techniques because he, he grew up at BombTech inside an e-com brand. So he's got a unique perspective that a lot of agencies don't have because right. he's been in it. So a lot of agencies just do X, Y, Z. They don't really know what it takes. So he's really excellent at what he does. And we scaled that up to like, I, we've been to, between like 30 and 45 clients at whatever time. So it's been great. And that business is different and you need more people. Yeah. Um, but it's all cash flow. So it's a pretty, pretty cool thing. And it's just another, like saw an opportunity. People were messaging me and I just kind of like, just keep going with the traction is, you know? So I was like, okay, let's try that. You know, it's not, not, don't overthink it. Right? right. Right. It's just like, all right, this seems cool. Let's do more of it. Not like trying to come up with something out of left field. You know, it's like people already messaging me to help. Let's help them. Yeah. Do you think you know? e-com growers could have built beer putt? <laughs> oh my God. Hopefully could have helped it. Yeah. Do you think it could have, you think it could have, nothing would have helped that. That was just, uh, a bad product market fit on. Oh my god! On my I'm so phone. going on eBay or wherever you find these things. <laughs> I'm sure there's one, one kicking around. I'm find. sure. It's still in the box. Yeah. That's what I want. Yeah. I'll find one for you. <laughs> Please do. Like I literally, will. we have a wall of this stuff. So. All right. I'll so. see what I can do. So beyond um, beer putt. Yes. Any big, and it doesn't have to be product specific, but any mm. big sort of like swing and a miss. Excuse the pun. Uh, you know, like mistakes early on that if you could change Many. yeah i mean the biggest mistake i made at one point was not knowing enough about paid traffic so like how i look at e-commerce is at first you got to get to your first million on your own that's why what i believe is you need to know each silo and there's not that many silos there's like product and there is but there isn't but product design fulfillment ads you know paid traffic email there's a couple of seo cro but really become an expert enough to hire and fire people my mistake was 2016. Again, that was a special year in a lot of ways. Uh, I fired our ad agency who brought us all the way up to, I think that year we did 6.3 million. And it was January, which is off season for golf. We should not sell a lot of clubs, but because I was no longer in Facebook ads, really no one was going on. I felt like he wasn't doing a good job. Although if I knew how to look at my ad account, our return ad spend was like 7x. It just was January, so you're not going to sell a lot of product. So I faulted him for that and fired him. That year, I ended up having to learn Facebook ads myself for eight months, hired and fired 12 agencies myself until I made a process to vet agencies where I would do a one-hour screen share with an expert because I learned ads enough to get our sales back up. 
And then I was like, all right, let's do a one hour screen share. I'll pay you for your time. If you beat me on ads, you're hired. So I was like, I got to find a better way than hiring firing agencies. So I found this guy who is the 12th guy. Or I was going to say 12 a lot. <laughs> this was like 12 screen shares. I was paying 300 bucks or whatever their hourly rate was. Everyone sucked though. They're like, oh, we'll kill it for you. We do an ad. We build it. And they couldn't explain it to me. There was no strategy. And then it'd flop. I said, well, I'm beating you. You're fired. You're, you know. And the last guy's like, hey, dude, you got this, this, this wrong. Let me build this. And he smoked it. And he's been my ads guy since for five years or four years or whatever it is. Um, so knowing enough of each silo to hire and fire and wow. don't fire the, the good ones and know enough to be able to keep them on, you know? Right. And so, if it ain't broke, don't fix it sort of comes into And mind. I think that was my big thing, <laughs> 2016, my big year. I tried everything. We tried every marketing tactic, every, every strategy in the world and sales didn't move. And it's like since 2020-ish, it's like, it's the same big leverage. It's ads, it's email, it's product. And it's like, it was, it's really easy to get distracted with all the shiny balls and trial and stuff. And at the end of the day, people pitch me all these different ideas. I'm like, no, nah, I'm good. It works. Yeah. yeah it you works. know, let it work. Um, what's next? Well, I've been golfing a lot uh, and skiing a lot. So it's the live, summer to golf. <laughs> I mean, it's been beautiful weather. Li- living life. Uh, no, so I just launched my personal blog, tysully.com. Just because, I don't know, I thought it'd be fun. I've never built a pure content site that was monetized with ads. And I thought it'd be a good challenge to learn SEO. So right now I just started blogging, just really on my expertise and, and what I've done at BombTech. And just like, I did a, a case study on how I launched, you know, 238K in 24 hours, how we think about email, just all the stuff we're talking about today. Um, and then I also intro people, because this was another thing that came about People are like, dude, you're killing it. Can you intro me to your Facebook ad guy? Can you intro me to your CRO guy? So now I've got a hire my expert program where it's like someone's like, hey, I just literally will intro them to my ad guy and then I get paid, you know, a referral to do that because it's like my network. So just having fun. I'm trying to do one blog post a day. That's that's a pretty decent commitment to come it's up intense. with something yeah, that's creative, right? Writing's not easy. No, I'm like 32 blog posts in. Some are awful. Um, but I figured this would be cool because there is – content people that it has no inventory no people so i was like this is something that i've never done let's give it some time and see if it works worst case scenario i'll just waste some time blogging and and learn seo but i I don't know it's just a new thing that i've seen it seems interesting are you deleting the shitty blog post no amazing (laughs) i what i'm doing is i'm I'm going back and just like cleaning them up you know but I'm, i'm just it's something new and i like learning you know, new stuff. And they're like, oh, SEO is a thing, but a pure content site, and there's some out there doing, you know, 300K a month with, I mean, it's all profit almost. So it seems like it's a long-term move. And if it's a personal brand, I'm not going to quit it. Yeah. That's my thought. Right. So Your name's attached to it. <laughs> I, I'm all in. So it's just something fun. We'll see if yeah, I can enjoy it. That you is know. Uh, super cool. <laughs> all right. I'm going to I'm gonna look at. I'm gonna see if I can find the shitty ones. Uh, yeah, I'm. Well, Don't look too hard. It's not. It's, it, it'll, it'll be easy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I know that I know you have a little time on your hands. Also, I'm gonna totally pull you into some mentorship stuff. That'd be awesome. Yeah, totally. I would love totally. to. Do that. Yeah, yeah that literally, right? I, yeah, because again, we work with almost 300 people like you a year all yeah. around Vermont. Um, 
most of them a bit more qualified than what you described yourself as early on, right? Like, totally. Like we were laughing earlier. Like I, I think we narrowed it down. It was 2012 when you walked into Farrell Hall at EVM where yeah. our first VSAT office was with, yeah. with like a three-piece golf club of some sort. Like, yeah. I'm going to put this together and sell it. We're like, yeah, right. <laughs> a lot of people hate, even Good entrepreneurs, Matt, first article is like, cool design. Cool brand, not gonna make it. Oh <laughs> my god! Hey, we made it. What was the price point? Was it? Was... Uh, originally, I think it was like three hundred. Custom yeah. assembled in my basement. Yeah. Yeah, that's so cool. That's so cool. <laughs> Organic. Yeah. Organic golf club. Oh god. <laughs> All right, Tyler. Before we let you get back on the green here. Yep. Final magic wand question: If you could change one thing in Vermont today. What would you change? Only one. Oh, one thing, but you can use magic, magic wand, wand, so Super it can powers. be unreasonable. Unreasonable? Oh, um, yeah. I think I just would want winter to be shorter. Ugh, yes. Although I'm a ski bum. But, like, concentrated, get, yeah, right? Yeah, I need fresh, Three months powder, of fresh powder. And not it to linger. That's all. Perfect. You know, the older I get, the more I'm like, hey, I like, I'm leaning towards golf. And the, the winter's being shorter. So March 15th or March 30th? Yeah. What do you think? Right around then? or? Yeah, I like spring skiing. Spring skiing's good. You know, maybe have it spring in February. Sounds like you're <laughs> headed to snowbird status. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. <laughs> Probably. I love it. Well, um, Sam, was sort of worth the wait? It was worth the wait. 100%. Six years. A lot of hype. Ten years in the making. So much hype. hype. So much pressure. Hopefully, a lot of editing will be needed. I'm sure. We will need your email marketing to publicize the podcast for for sure. Uh, Thank you so much. This has been Start Here with Sam and Dave, a podcast sharing the stories of active, aspiring, and accidental entrepreneurs. This series has been made possible by the Vermont Technology Council and Consolidated Communications. Follow us on Twitter at VSEC. That's V C E T. Thanks for listening. Let's go hit the greens. Yeah.